Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Well, if you take your Bibles, I hope you have them. We're going to be looking at several verses this morning. And also on the back side of your bulletin, there's a note sheet for uh, your use and grab a pen. We're in the second week of our series called Deliver Us From Evil. And we're wrestling with the big questions of the problem of evil, uh, God's response to the suffering that's caused by evil. Uh, next week, in the following two weeks, we will uh, take a look at our, our own personal evil, our own battle with evil, uh, the, the how to kind of how to keep from being evil ourselves and um, so we're looking at the whole deal now we're not going to answer all the questions about this Uh, in fact some we don't have some of the answers but just because we don't know and can't know and understand everything doesn't mean that we can't understand many things and God's word is very very clear uh, on these issues I think the, the better we get to know our God And the better we get to understand his word, the more we will love and trust him because he is absolutely the most lovable being in the universe and he is the most trustworthy being that exists. Uh, So uh, that's uh, that's where we're headed. And uh, pray with me. We're going to jump in. Lord, we give thanks to you uh, that you do not leave us alone in the face of evil and suffering. And so we pray now that you would open our eyes, as we pray every week, that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things from your word, that you would open our minds, that we may understand the scriptures and unlock that part of us, our personality, that part of our personality, our heart, our spirit that most directly relates to you, that we may respond to you with greater faith and greater trust and greater love because of who you are and what you do. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You know, evil, evil causes suffering. The evil inside of me, the evil inside of you, the evil inside of human beings causes suffering. The evil from our, uh, let's describe it this way, our without God culture causes suffering. Uh, and evil from spiritual forces of darkness causes suffering. Evil causes suffering. Now, the the images that we saw just a moment ago from Aurora, Colorado, and Newtown, Connecticut, they they haunt me. Do they haunt you? I mean, it's hard to see them and remember them, but we must do so. However, as we do... uh, it naturally brings questions, some of the big ones we've mentioned, like where is God when evil causes suffering like this? Or where was God when evil caused suffering like this? Uh, what is God's response to this evil and the suffering it causes? Does God even respond at all? Some say, does God even respond at all? Because it doesn't look like to me he does. Uh, so maybe you've got those questions. And... Um, but here's, here's the big point, and then we're going to unpack it. Ready? Write this down. God is, because God is always good. Remember, God is good and God is great. That's the best way to sum up his character. Uh, he is very, very good, completely good, and he is all-powerful. In the face of evil, he is still good and all-powerful. Because he is good, God always responds to evil 
and the suffering it causes in good ways. In good ways. Put that up just on the screen. Just write down that word, that phrase, good ways. Because God is always good, He always responds to suffering in good ways. Now, I just want to illustrate it uh, as many different ways as I can today. So let me illustrate it first of all this way. Uh, God's response to evil and the suffering that it causes can be seen in His response to entire nations. I mean, entire countries, entire civilizations. For example, once upon a time, about 3,500 years ago or so, there were seven or eight um, uh, small nations that occupied the Holy Land, that occupied Palestine. Uh, at that time, we, it was called Canaan. If you just write down these seven or eight little nations and drew a circle around them, you could label across it Canaanites. Uh, it, that, that's how they were referred to in the Scripture. Sometimes they were referred to very specifically. Here, here's who they were. They were the Amorites, the Amalekites, the, the uh, Girgashites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Uh, seven or eight small nations that occupied Canaan. And they occupied Canaan during the 400 years that the people of Israel were in Egypt, uh, were, were in slavery in Egypt. Now, they were evil people and they did evil things. And they did it for 400 years. I mean, it's in the history books. It's in the scriptures and it's in the history books. Uh, they, for example, so what, what kind of evil? Well, first of all, they burned their own babies in fire in their worship services. They, they as sacrifice to their, to their false gods of Molech and Baal and other false gods. I mean, the common practice among all those nations was to sacrifice in a worship setting the firstborn of every family. Build a fire, everybody gathers around, worships God, burns that baby to death. They did that for 400 years. The families of these nations practiced this horrible sin for at least 400 years. Can you imagine seven or eight small nations full of families all sacrificing their firstborn children uh, in fire for 400 years? Can you imagine how many innocent babies would that be? Who knows? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And that's not all they did. As a matter of worship, as a matter of worship, they habitually practiced sexual immorality between human beings and with animals and called it worship in their services. And they celebrated when they sacrificed these babies. And they celebrated when they practiced sexual perversion and called it worship. What was bad, they called good. It's, it's been the most powerful strategy of darkness in, in, uh, throughout the history of mankind just to start calling bad good. Call it good. And they violently and they steadfastly opposed the God of the Bible and His kingdom for hundreds of years. Now let me just ask you, if you came across, we came across a civilization like this, a group of people like this, what do you think should happen to people who aggressively abused hundreds of thousands of their own children to death and called it right, called it righteous, called it worship, called it religion, called it good, and called it the law of the land. Well, I mean, what do you think should happen to them? Well, you know where I'm headed with this. 
Something, something needs to be done. I mean, something needs to, to happen. But God was surprising. God in His great mercy and God in His great grace uh, and love for them, hoping that they would repent and turn from their wicked ways, waited centuries. Centuries while the occupants of Canaan, uh, one Old Testament prophet, Mike, says it this way, filled up their cup, their own cup, with the wrath of God. They filled it up. And, but finally, God said, that's it. That's it. Now, this is right here in the Scriptures, right here in the Bible. God said, that's enough. And he dedicated them to destruction at the hands of the invading Israelite army. Some of you, have you've read the Old Testament in the past, and you've seen God give the command to the Israelis when they were occupying Canaan. And, and God would say, clean them out. You go, how could God do such a thing? That's the reason. That's the reason. Israel, was, were the, they were the instruments of God's judgment on these nations for centuries of horrific immorality and evil and suffering that was caused uh, by it. Uh, it was like, like a surgeon removes cancer that could infect and destroy an entire body. God punished the occupants of Canaan by the invading Israelite army. So, 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 what is God's response to suffering that is caused by evil? Well, write this down. It's going to be on the screen. God is good, and because God is good, He punishes the evil. He punishes evil that causes suffering. You know, I've been thinking about this this week. This, uh, this month, legal abortion turns 40 in the United States of America. And I think because God is a good God that we, the people of the United States, might should be a little nervous. Um, since 1973, we have sacrificed over approximately 55 million preborn children. 55 million in the hospitals and the abortion clinics in every state in the land, and we have celebrated it like it's a good thing. Uh, we've marched in the streets proclaiming it a God-given right. We have elected our officials based on the assurance that they would protect our right to practice this religion of death and child abuse. It's evil. It causes great suffering. Not, 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 just, not just for those infants, but in my 40 years of ministry... I've watched it cause great suffering in the lives of, of the, the, the men and women who participated. These great scars on their souls. And some of you have experienced that, and you know the deep pain, and you could share it with, with others. So, well, what are, what are we afraid God might do? I don't know that he'll do anything different than he's done. I think we're already under the natural judgment of the sin. Now, what do you mean by that? You see, a, a national sin may become its own punishment. It becomes its own judgment. Now, you know, God says this very thing most of the time about sin in the Bible. Like in the book of Proverbs, he says things like this. You ready? Here he goes. He says, he who digs a pit will fall in it. Uh, he says things like this. He who sets a trap for his neighbor will be caught in his own trap. 
Now, what he's saying here is that sin becomes its own punishment through the natural consequences it sets in motion. And we may already be suffering God's punishment for the evil of abortion through the consequences it has already brought to us as a land. For example, what if, just just play what if a second. What if? What if the approximately 560,000 of us who died of cancer in the last 12 months in the United States of America, what if we did so because the medical researcher who would discover the cure isn't here because we aborted her in 1974? I mean, what if, if, just what if, what if on 9-11, what if the World Trade Center towers fell And thousands of innocent people lost their lives. And the world was changed forever for the worse. For the worse. Uh, Because the FBI agent who would have uncovered the plot and led the charge to thwart that plot isn't here. Because we aborted him years ago. What if, what if, what if, what if the recession that we have been suffering is upon us because the wise women and the wise men, uh, members of the agency that regulates the home lending industry, the banking industry, the finance industry in our culture, uh, who, and then would have foreseen the unwise and greedy practices weren't there because we aborted them, t- we aborted them 20 years ago. I mean, what about that? What if, what if you're single and you never marry because the young lady you were to marry isn't here? She was aborted in 1989. What if our, your son never receives Christ and the abundant life that he brings because the young pastor who God intended to lead him to faith isn't here? We aborted him in 1979. You get the picture? I mean, so what if? What if that's the case? See, Pastor, you don't know that for certain. No, no. I don't know that for certain, but I also don't know for certain that that's not the case. And that's what I mean, that God help us to repent because the the evil causes suffering and God punishes that evil. And sometimes he punishes it by just letting it run its natural course. Uh, With nations, God is good. And he always responds to evil and suffering it causes in good ways, like punishing evil. But let me illustrate it another way. There's a second way that God responds. Jot this down. It's going to be on the screen. It's with compassionate help. Compassionate help. Uh, Several illustrations. It's like the time that Jesus himself saw a great crowd of sick people. The Bible says they were, uh, were suffering all kinds of sickness in Matthew chapter 14. What, what was his response? He had compassion on them. And he healed them and he helped them. It's like the time when Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages in the area and saw the crowds suffering. Uh, The Bible says in Matthew 9 that they were harassed and helpless with no spiritual direction at all and no one to help them. What did he do? He had compassion on them, the Bible says, and he helped them. He led them. He gave them the spiritual direction. It's like the time when Jesus pulled away, tired and in need of rest, and he and his disciples didn't even have time uh, to eat. They came ashore uh, at the Sea of Galilee there, and a great crowd gathered. The Bible says at least 5,000 men plus women and children, and Jesus looked at them and their need, uh, spiritual need, and their physical need. And he had compassion on them. And so instead of taking care of his own needs in the tired uh, situation he was in, he 
taught them all day long, and then he fed them a miraculous meal. It's like the time that Jesus went into the little town of Nain, N-A-I-N. And as he and his disciples were going through the gates of the town, they met a funeral procession coming out of uh, the city. Uh, And it was a, a young man who had died, he was the only son of his mother, and the Bible says in Matthew and in Luke chapter 7, and that she was a widow. He looked upon her. She had lost both her son and her husband, and he had compassion on her. And he just totally disrupted the funeral and raised the young man from the dead. Compassion. God always responds to suffering. Your suffering and my suffering, when it's caused by evil, he always responds with compassionate help. Now that word compassion in the Bible is a, is a very powerful word. Uh, it, it, means, it means a motivating emotion. It means sympathy that is motivated. Not just, not just sympathy, but compassion. It means mercy. It means pity. Uh, it means heartfelt help, not just help, but heartfelt help, not just feeling in the heart of, oh, I feel so bad for them. Well, that's just sympathy. Compassion says, oh, I feel so bad for them, and I help, and I help. It, it, is, it speaks, uh, uh, the Bible describes compassion as something that is felt in the bowels, in the gut. You, you, may, have, you may have said at some time when you heard of great suffering or great evil, you said, I felt like I'd been hit in the gut. You ever said that? You ever heard anybody say that? That's the Bible word for compassion. And the Bible says that our God feels compassion. And he's moved to help us when we, when we suffer. So where is God when we suffer? What's his response to suffering? It's compassionate help. It is compassionate help. He's moved with compassion to help us when we suffer. Listen to this. Take a look at the screen. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we receive we ourselves have received from God. Look at this next passage, uh, Psalm 46.1. Let's read this one out loud together. Ready? Here we go. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, God is good, and because God is always good, He always responds to the evil and the suffering that it causes in good ways, like punishing the evil, like providing compassionate help. But there's a third way that He does uh, this. He transforms character. He transforms our character for the better, for the better. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. I'm sorry, I use this illustration a lot, but guys, it was just such a huge spiritual marker in my life. It sometimes it's the only, it's the best way I can communicate. I've told you before about the experience of our oldest daughter being critically ill uh, as an infant. Now, I was born with an activist personality. I was born and created by God with a bias toward action. 
and uh, let's do something. Let's be at it. I mean, I was described at one time uh, as not being able to sit still fast enough. And then suddenly we found ourselves with a, a, a child with a serious illness. And some of you know that when serious illness visits a family, whether it's a child or a spouse or a brother or a sister, time goes on hold. Life goes on hold. It does. And so for the next year and a half, I found myself sitting, sitting in hospital rooms, sitting in waiting rooms, sitting in clinics for long hours at a time, sometimes for days in a row, alongside of other grieving parents. I was one of them. Allison was one of them. And, you know, in, these, in a hospital room, time is a, is a sloth. Time is molasses. Time is a glacier. I mean, time moves like trying to run in a dream when you're in those rooms. It slows down. Now, in addition to compassionate help, do you know what God did for me? He turned me into a patient man. He did. He turned me into a patient man. He gave me compassionate help. He gave us compassionate help. And he transformed us in, in our character. He also made me aware that, oh, there are other people who suffer. This world is not all about me. Now, I am nothing if not self-centered. And I needed that. I needed that. Other people suffer. And it moved from being an intellectual aware uh, acknowledgement to an emotional reality. For me, He transformed our, our character. He does that, and he does it if we cooperate with him. Look at this passage from James chapter 1. Uh, this is something that you and I can do. It's our response to it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God is good. God is good, and because he is always good, he always responds to evil and the suffering that it causes in good ways, like punishing the evil, like compassionate help, like transforming our character. Uh, and there is, a, there is another way that I want to describe, and it's this. One time, he suffered for us. He suffered for us. God took our suffering so seriously that he took it on himself. This is the most power, powerful response of God to our suffering. It is when he anticipated, now listen to this, it is when he anticipated our suffering, our own suffering, that would be caused by our own evil, our own sin, that we would generate in our own lives, that would cause us to be separated from God in this life and the next. And God could not bear the thought of you suffering for eternity because of your own evil, because of your own sin. And he determined, he took it so seriously, he decided to do it for you. And he emptied himself and took on the form of a man, we know him as the Lord Jesus, who went innocently to the cross and took on the debt, the sin debt of the, every person who would then and, and now and ever have lived and suffered for us. 
He is all about eliminating human suffering in this life and the next. Matter of fact, if you wanted to say the, give the mission of our church in, in other terms, you could say we exist to eliminate human suffering in this life and in eternity. And we think it happens through Jesus Christ. We think it happens through Him. Uh, I mean, listen to this. He did it for us. Uh, here's the famous passage, uh, Isaiah 53, verses 4 and through 6. It's some of you here who may be some of our uh, Jewish friends, and you may have Jewish friends, uh, help them unpack this passage. Surely He, speaking of Jesus, took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God is good. God is good, and because He's good, He always responds to the evil uh, and suffering that it causes in good ways. Punishing it, providing compassionate help, transforming our character, and suffering in our place for our very own evil so that we would not have to. And because He's good, there's one more thing He's going to do. One day, here's His response ultimately, is this, He's going to eliminate evil. He will eliminate, He will terminate all evil. In Isaiah 13, verse 11, the Bible says it this way. God says, I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. Now, the question remains, why doesn't He do it now? Write this down, what I say? I don't know, He does. But I have discovered He knows best, Father knows best. He, he, he's good. He's always good. And you can trust Him. You can trust Him. He's even got the timing of this down. He will ultimately put an end to all evil, the wicked, the haughty, and the ruthless people, groups, and nations. Look at Revelation chapter 21. It says it this way. Uh, John the apostle said, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Yes, and the old order of things has passed away. That is coming. He will do it. God is good and He responds to the evil that causes suffering in good ways. He punishes evil. He provides compassionate help. He transforms our character for the better. He provides a way that we do not have to suffer for our own sin that we really should. And one day, one day, He's going to eliminate all evil. That's why my little grandmother would say, like the Apostle John wrote in the last chapter of Revelation, Yea, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly and do it. It's good prayer, darn good prayer. You can pray that. Uh, and, and so here's the deal. You want to be sure that you know Him. You want to be sure that you know Him. So what do you do? Well, let me just talk about practically now what you and I do. In light of the truths we have seen about God and what He does with evil, here's the first thing. Some of you are very bitter toward 
some evil people, people who have wounded you. They've done evil things to you. You have a great desire for revenge. You know, so there are two things that really sell movies in our culture, sex and revenge. It's a powerful, powerful emotion and desire. But God says, no, it's my job. And so I would recommend that you release your bitterness and desires for revenge to God. Let him punish the evildoers. Some he will do now, some he will do later, but it's all going to be settled. Let him do it. So maybe right now, let me just walk you through this. Let's pray. Let me just, why don't you just move into a, a time of prayer. And let me walk you through this. For those of you that have a deep desire for revenge, don't let that ruin your life. Why don't you right now be honest with God and say, Lord, I do have a deep desire for revenge. I need you to help me with that. And so if you'll help me, I'm going to ask you to take care of the punishing and I'm going to take my hands off it. Just, Lord, I don't know how to do that. I need your help. I need your help. Some of you are wondering what to do about our national sin of abortion. Well, here's a practical thing. Pray about this. One of our ministry partners here in our community is the Pregnancy Resource Center of Fayette. Maybe you should, could be one of Dogwood's volunteers that serves God's purposes there. Why don't you ask God, should you, are you one of the people, Lord? Am I one of the people that could, should consider serving your purposes with them? I would encourage you, if you are suffering, to ask God for compassionate help. Ask him, Lord, give me your help. I need help. I'm suffering. And maybe even commit to memorize Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Do that. Lord, I need you to be my refuge. I need you to be my strength. I need you to, be a, to help me in this trouble, and I need you to do it. Be ever-present with me. Give me your help. And since you are suffering, you might as well benefit from it. Why don't you ask God to use this suffering, regardless of its source, to transform your character, to make you more like Jesus, to grow in heart and spirit, to grow in your faith and trust in Him. Lord, help me not waste my sorrows. Help me to not waste my suffering. But in the midst of this, change me for the better. Make me more like you. But some of you have never trusted in Christ and his suffering for you on the cross is sufficient to pay for your sin. You've, you've never asked Jesus to substitute for you so that you can be forgiven and reconciled to God. And frankly, you can escape the just punishment that is due your sin. So why don't you say, Lord Jesus, I understand for the first time 
I am a sinful person who needs to be saved from the consequences of my sin. I'm asking you to come into my heart and life, forgive my sin, take up residence in my life by your Holy Spirit and help me to live the life you want me to live in the way you want me to live it and to become the kind of person you want me to become. And Lord, I ask that you secure my eternity with you in the next life. I'm trusting in you and that you suffered for me. So I will give my life to you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.